Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. I want you to just put your feelings on airplane mode just for a few minutes because we're not trying to hurt anyone or offend anyone or make anyone angry. But in a few minutes, it's going to get very, very real. So if you've been coming to Rescue Church and you have your chin strap on and you're running around the field without the second strap, Put the second strap on. Don't just have the top one like you're a cornerback walking around looking cute because today a lineman is coming in and, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, so there's going to be, you know, we don't want to pop any helmets off mouthpieces in because today I want to talk to you about something really, really important and it is what we put our trust in. What is it that we put our trust in? And, and it could get a little aggressive, but it's going to be encouraging at the end because God wants to be who and what we trust in. And you, you don't really know what you trust in until things in your life shake. So, so if everything is going well, you have not had a revelation of what you trust in yet. Um, things, things, the thing about faith, it, it's not like, do I have enough faith to manipulate God to get what I want? It's more like, do you have enough faith to trust God when you don't get what you want? Or when your, your faith doesn't get what you were hoping for? That's, that's, a, that's different than, do I have enough faith to get my blessing? You know, expedited ship to me in two days. That's different than if my dreams are shattered, but I still choose to trust in the Lord. So I, I want to talk to you about that. Now, I'm going to use Brett as an example since he's not thin-skinned and he can handle this type of conversation. Sometimes Brett will call me and he'll be trying to make sense of a scripture or what's happening in his life. And I sit there and listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. And then I try to help make sense of what is happening. This is part of, this is part of the, I have someone too that does that for me. My pastor also does that for me. So today we're on a little journey. I'm going to tell you about the journey. So a few months ago, Isaac was leading worship at the Parker where we used to have our life group and we're just worshiping and they didn't know this, but I was recording it. You know, uh, that's another thing, but I was recording it. So they didn't know. Be careful because I might be recording you. So I'm, I was recording it. I was really enjoying it. You know, I was really enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord brought some really th crazy, sober-minded thing to me. And it just hit me like, like, like a ton of bricks. Boom. And it was when David took a census and God released judgment on Israel. So I knew I had a word in my spirit that I had received. I had received the download, but I couldn't make sense of it in that moment. But I knew eternal life touched my spirit. And I said something that day, but I didn't, I didn't put all my cards on the table. So then I was worshiping the Lord in my office. And I, I play the guitar, but not in public for people for the Lord. Part of your life, not all of your life should be public. You have to have some private life. So I will not play publicly because that's not what that's about. So I'm just worshiping. And I'm strumming, and the Lord says to me, I'm about to turn your morning into dancing. And I was like, yes, Lord. I said, Jesus. You know, so I was like, amen, you know, tears and, and feelings and all that. I'm like, okay, I received that. I just want to let you get you in the, the habit of when the Lord speaks to you something clear that is from the Bible, receive it. Jose is a receiver too, a wide receiver. When he hears something that he wants, he goes, I received that. You have to be careful what you receive. And sometimes you have to tell someone, I don't receive that. You cannot sow that into my life. Yeah, I reject that. 
And sometimes you have to tell the person who's speaking to you, no, you can't speak that into my life. Yeah, that's real important. Because people will poison you with their bitterness and their disappointment. So, you, yeah, I didn't, I didn't come to get counseled by your demons. So you have to just sometimes tell people that, that no, I'm not, don't speak to me like that. I'm not, I'm not receiving that. Um, and just shot block them on there. And do, do, the, do the matumbo on them. Like, you know, remember when he used to, he used to be like, so anyway. So, yeah, you got you to do that. So then, so then I tell my pastor, man, the Lord really spoke this to me. And then he just smiles at me and laughs at me. And then he says something. And I didn't know the connection between you turn my morning into dancing and David's census. See, there's a, there's a connection to this. So I, I want you to really receive this word today. This is not an easy word to hear. But, but here's, here's the thing. The idea that God um, is, is going to be like a big grandfather in the sky that's on meds and always happy and smiling, and he is not serious, and there is no severity with him, is not a biblical idea. Another thing that is not a biblical idea is the fly swatter God, who is not the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, but the punisher who cannot wait to find you doing something wrong so that he can punish you and shame you. Neither one of those are accurate representations of God. One of the things within the biblical narrative and the biblical text that people miss is the mercy of God in the Old Covenant and the severity of God in the New Covenant. This is a big thing that people think that God was in a bad mood in the Old Testament and he got back on his medicine in the New Testament and now he's happy and he's easygoing and he's kind of like a vegan hippie. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's not the Jesus of Scripture God is loving, and he loves everyone, but he does not love everything, and he does not love things that are destructive to human nature. So in Israel, um, God in the book of Exodus had given them very, very clear instructions on if they were going to take a census, what should happen. And so you find those instructions in Exodus 30. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read this here. Exodus 30, verse 11, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. This is what, every, uh, what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less. So this idea in America where you tax people who make more money more is anti-biblical. The most biblical form of a tax is a flat tax. That's just. So when you hear people saying, pay your fair share, they don't know what they're talking about. And if you used to say that, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just telling you. So that's, that's that. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. 
So this is a ransom. It's like, let's say there's a census where, where God wants to find out how many people is in uh, Israel. So everyone would give a half shekel, right, which is not a big amount of money, but it's, it's an offering. It's a ransom. And it's like this. It's like a thank you for pulling us out of Egypt. That makes sense to, to simplify this. It's a thank you, like like you know, like a fifty cent piece or, or a two dollar bill. It's a it's a th it's not a huge thing, but it's a thank you for bringing us out of Egypt, and it's a contribution to the the tabernacle of meeting, which is where Moses ministered to the Lord, where the Levites ministered to the Lord, where they inquired of the Lord, and it's the place they got direction from. It's the place they got provision from. It's, it's, so they, they, they want to make sure that that is taken care of. If that is not taken care of, then, you have, you have, then they're no different from heathen because they're not ministering to the Lord. The Lord is not first. See, what makes the people of God, what makes us different is not that we're nice people or we don't snore coke anymore. But what makes us different is that the presence of the Lord is the line of demarcation in our life which makes us different. I'm not different in and of my own strength. You know what I'm saying? So you may be better off than someone, but you're not better than them because remember where we came from. Yeah, Egypt. So, so, so this was, so in taking a census, a small offering was required as an act of participation and thankfulness. I'm not going to get into that yet. So now, so now David, watch what David's going to do. David is going to do something really, 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 really stupid. This is the stupidest thing that he did. The dumbest thing. This is worse than him, like, sleeping with Bathsheba and killing her husband. The, the fallout of this is worse. This is the biggest blunder of David, just so you know. And I want to just, just help you see something, that a lot of us like to be private private. We don't want no one to know what we really are or what we're really like. When someone comes to my house and, and it's cleaned up, I say just 25 minutes later, it was three times filthier than you could imagine. And there's three little kids running around and it's like gross. Because what we do, and that's real talk, what we do is we put makeup on, four filters on Instagram, and we still don't like the picture and it's not the picture that we don't like. It's you that you don't like. I don't like the picture. It's you that you don't like because the picture is giving you 24 megapixels of you. Yeah, that's what we don't like. So I'm telling you this is an issue. So, so when you see that, oh, I don't like that. The issue that you have is not with the A7 III, but with yours truly yourself. So this is a big blunder. Now, God does not take David and go, yeah, David, you know what I'm saying? We cool, so you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to let nobody know, you know what I'm saying, what you did. You feel me? We're going to hide that. No, that's not what God does. No, God doesn't do that. He goes, I'm going to show you my best friend's biggest blunder so that you learn from that so you don't do that. So this whole thing of private, nobody knows what you're really like. Listen, that's not a kingdom idea. God takes the biggest blunder of his best friend and puts it in world history so that you learn from it. So if you've ever done something dumb, which I have, uh, I used to have a PhD in stupid and self-inflicted wounds and dumb. Yeah, you, you should use your dumb 
to help someone not do that. Like if someone said to me, how would you plan a church? I would say, exactly not like we did. And when people look at me, they're like, what do you mean? And I'm, I'm telling you exactly not like we did. That's, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And people are like, they're not even used to that level of honesty. People look at you like you're crazy, but I'm telling you the truth. So God does not hide David's transgression. When you, listen to me, when you've been forgiven and you're free, you, you, don't, you don't mind sharing what you've been free and forgiven of. When you still have shame, though, uh-oh, we don't want to talk about it. We like to hide it with a little fig leaf. And that little fig leaf is not going to cover some of us because some of us are bigger than a little fig leaf. Sister Deborah told us that the fig leaf, you know, you know what it does? It causes irritation. So you try to cover yourself, you're going to get yourself a rash trying to, trying to front trying to front and then people really think you got problems so you don't <laughs> you don't want that man all right <laughs> second samuel uh 2 24 and the anger of the lord was aroused against israel he moved david against them to say go and number israel and judah watch this First uh, chronicles 1 21 now satan stood up against israel and moved david to number israel which is it both. It is the same description of a coin. You look at it and go, oh, it's heads. Oh, my God, it's heads, 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 heads. Yeah, that's beautiful. You're right. But it's not only heads. The same coin has tails. So you can look at something and have, have a correct perspective and be so stuck on half of a perspective that you don't see the whole truth. There's always tension when it comes to truth. This is, it makes you have to do this thing called loving God with your mind by turning your mind on and doing the hard work of not only feeling, because we love to feel, we want to feel, everything is feelings in our culture, but actually part of loving God is actually thinking. And so what happened is God used Satan to provoke David to move against Israel. Did you know that Satan is God's servant? Do you know that God created Satan and Satan made a choice and he fell, but ultimately God is still sovereign and God is still in charge. And if God tells Satan, you're going to do this and you're going to do that, he has to listen to him. Amen. Remember when, when Job, remember Job? God said, have you considered my servant, Job? God was teaching Satan a lesson through Job. Imagine being so steadfast that God could use you to teach the devil a lesson. Amen. Think about that for a second. So God is God. Anyway, verse 2. Then the king said to Joab, the commander of the army. Now Joab, his name means Jehovah has fathered. So this is his military guy. His name means God has fathered. So the question is, who is your daddy? That's an important question. That's an important question because let's say you have a bad family of origin, then you, you are still marked by that until you get healed, forgive him, and then come into the kingdom and understand God as father, and then God as father becomes your primary. 
If God as Father is not primary, you're selling yourself short of what you could have in your life. Now, some of you may have a great father, such as Steph. But many of us do not have perfect fathers or, or fathers that are really locked in and sensitive. And, and I'm just using you as an example because your dad really touches my heart. And then Roshan exposed to us something that he did for Roshan. And I'm like, he is just a beautiful guy. But not everyone is like that. You know, so you have like one and a thousand that are like that. And the rest of us, we, maybe it's not it's not all like that. Just to let you know. So now I'm sorry to say it in such plain language. But so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him. Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. That's like saying go from the north to the south. Like go like the whole all of it. OK, um, and count the people that I may know the number of the people. Then Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why? Say why. why? But why? But why does the king desire this thing? Why? Listen to me. Before you do something, you have to start asking yourself, why? Why? Someone, someone comes and they spit out some venom out of their mouth. Why? You have an explosion. Why? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you know better. Why? We got to start asking why. Why is a profound question that will change your life. Now, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the armies. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Now, he has a military general who is actually trying to save him. And he was unable to hear him. This is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is that God sometimes will put a voice in your life. Maybe it's not someone on your level. Maybe it's someone under you. Maybe it's someone who, who you know, you, in your mind is not an equal to you. But the Lord will put something in that person's mouth for you to hear to save you a problem. And if you have ears to hear, you'll hear it. See, this is the mercy of God. Before the situation gets ugly, God had a man whose name was God had fathered, Jehovah had fathered, and he asks him, believe it or not, a very, very fatherly question. That is a very profound question. Like, for example, if I, had a, I have three children, if one of them comes to me and says, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I want to marry this person, you know one of the first things I'm going to ask them? Why? Are you marrying potential? Are you marrying someone who's solid? Are you marrying a liability? Are you marrying an asset? What does that person bring to the table? Why? Yeah, I know, I know. You probably wouldn't say that. But I would say that. Why? And... They crossed over the Jordan and camped at Aor, Aor, on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad, and toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead in the land of 
Tathim Hoshi, then to Dan Jan, around Sidon. Then they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and Canaanites. Then they went out to South Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone throughout the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. So this whole escapade of census was not immediate. Nine months and 20 days this took. Then Joab, this, uh, then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. There were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Eight plus five is 13. Even I can do that. Isaac, is that correct? Fact check me. All right, we're good. So now, 13, 1.3 million men. Men. In America, in 2022, America had 1.3 million active men in military duty. I'm trying to show you the magnitude of David's army. 1.3 million men who drew the sword. Not folks looking for a free education to get up out of the hood. Not a white boy that wants to go to Afghanistan to kill people because he hates himself. Sorry. Not someone looking for a free ride, free college. These were valiant men. These were men who draw the sword. These were men that were in hand-to-hand -hand close combat, not guys sitting on a roof somewhere with a 50 cal unloading on people like they're playing a video game, just to let you know. This is different. These are men who drew the sword. This is close contact. You know, with a sword, it's, with a knife, it's personal. All right? Okay. Now, and David's heart condemned him after he numbered the people. Now, in the New Covenant, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. But now his heart is telling him, you should not have done that. So before the judgment of God breaks out against him, his own heart tells him, that wasn't it. You shouldn't have done that. We're going to get into that. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So there's iniquity now. Iniquity is not sin. I want to just tell you something. We live in a culture that's really back, it's confused. People go, oh, you know, well, I made a mistake. No, 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 that's not a mistake. That's sin. Jesus didn't die for mistakes. For mistakes, you have a little eraser on your pencil. You have a little whiteout for your pen. That's a mistake. But sin and iniquity, that requires blood. That's not a mistake. That's different. And now people go, oh, you know, I have an addiction. That's not an addiction. It's called idolatry. It's, it means that you love your pain and hate yourself more than you love God and more than you care about yourself. It's called idolatry. It leads to bondage. It leads to hell. It'll destroy your life. It will kill you if you don't get free of it. So it's very sobering. It's not a joke. You know, it's so, so now how is it 
that David taking a census is iniquity. One of the most profound expressions of iniquity is by refusing to trust God when you have history with him. David had history with God. David, when he, went, when he was a young boy, young boy, when he went to go fight Goliath, he didn't go, how many people we got? How deep are we rolling? Uh, David asked two human questions. If I kill this guy, what's in it for me? He asked, he asked the human question, what's in it for me? And then, he, and, then he, and then he went out and he fought. And he spoke to what he was going to do. He spoke out, I'm going to come, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to chop your head off, and I'm going to feed your body. And then he took the skull of Goliath, remember? Where did he drag it to? Yeah, but where? Golgotha. You know what Golgotha means? It means the place of the skull. David, with his own hands, his own hand, not someone else's hands, his own hands gra- dra- took that big mo- monster head, big head, Mongolico in Spanish they call it, that big Mongolic head, and he dragged it into Jerusalem, and he left it on a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. David's victory is actually the thing that named that place where Jesus would win the victory. So he takes that skull and he leaves it there for the people of God to see. He said, I am not coming to you in my name. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. His trust was not in his numbers. His trust was not in his sling or his staff. He said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Not in what we have. In the name of the Lord. So so now this whole... This whole census is an expression of iniquity because it is a lack of trust and God takes it personal because when you say that you don't trust him, you are then questioning his integrity and calling him a liar. Then it becomes personal and you're going to see that the wrath of God, the anger of God breaks out against God's best friend and his people. So if you think that the judgment of God cannot break out against you, or cannot get, break out against a nation, or cannot break out against a church, you obviously do not know the Bible. Now, there's, there's communities of people that don't believe that this is still plausible. They believe a God that they've created in their own image, who is like a vegan hippie, who tolerates everything, and there's no judgment, there's no anything, and that is not reality. It is just not biblical. It's not, it's crazy. Now, now, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer. Look at this. This is really right here. The prophet Gad, David's seer. Say, say the prophet's dad, Gad and the, David's seer. So he was the Lord's mouth, but he was David's eyes. See, sometimes you need an extra set of eyes because you have blind spots. People, you know how many times I try to say something to me? Oh, I don't see that. I know you don't see that. It's my job to see that. <laughs> I better see that. So now that I've given it to you, could you please receive it? Because if you don't receive it, you don't grow. 
I don't see. I know you don't see that. We all know you don't see that. But I'm helping you see that. So we all need, uh, so we all need seers and people can be eyes for us. He was the Lord's mouth, but for David, he was, a, he was another pair of eyes. When I spoke to my pastor about the scripture, he was a, a second set of eyes. We need eyes. If you think that you don't need eyes on you, you, you you're, not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not with it. You don't get it. Anyway. Go tell David, thus says the Lord, I will offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So now, if you're a father, you know about this. You, you, sometimes you give your kids, select your punishment because you are going to get a punishment. This is God the Father. This is, this is just like God. He goes, so I'm going to give you three options, David. You will get one of them. Your tears and crying cannot manipulate me because I'm your father. That's what I tell my kids. Your tears... And my emotions are on a different server. They are not on the same network. They don't. They're not. You know. So you have to get over that or they'll be your parents. The kids will be your parents. And they'll manipulate you with tears. I offer you three sayings. Choose one of them for yourself. So Gad came to David and told him. And he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in the land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall it be... There, the three days plague in your land. Now, consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. So Gad has to come to David and says, The Lord has spoken to me. You are going to come under a punishment. It's going to be severe. Do you want to run from your enemies for three months? Do you want seven years of famine, which is no good? That's poor. Nobody wants to be poor. You got poor? No, we don't choose that. And then you run from your enemies. Shame. You want shame? Poverty or shame? Which one do you want? They come together anyway. So you want which one of those you want? Oh, David's like, oh, that's all right. And, uh, and so then David chooses the plague. But watch how he chooses the plague. Watch this. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. All of a sudden, David is trusting the Lord. Oh, did you see that? Trust came back. Oh, where'd that come from, David? Oh, it was down deep in there. It was there somewhere. Somewhere deep down in there. But affliction reminds you of mercy. So, so now, all of a sudden, David trusts the Lord again. <laughs> it's like, to me, this is classic. So, he <laughs> so he's in a problem because he doesn't trust the Lord. What's the way out of the problem? Trusting the Lord. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences of your choices. People think that you become Christian and there's the consequences of choices that you made in the world are all of a sudden gone. No. You're forgiven, but consequences may follow you. I, imagine I go crazy. You know, I get drunk and max out my credit card. I go home. My wife is like, okay, whatever. You're crazy. I forgive you. God, you know, I cry on Sunday. I feel ashamed. God forgives me. Yeah, that's wonderful. I still have a credit card bill that's coming for 18%. It's going to show up at the ATM and crack me over the head at 18%. It's coming for me. 
So you, you may be mercy, forgiven, all that. Beautiful, that's beautiful, yeah. But you still have consequences in reality to handle. Now, you don't handle those consequences apart from God's grace, and God will be with you in a mess he didn't cause for you. But you put yourself in that mess. David put himself in this mess by, number one, taking the census. Number two, not taking the census according to the standards of God, which lets you know that if you, you want to do something for God your way, something is impure about your motives. What happens when you have power is that you become very presumptuous if you don't watch out. And, and, you, and you, let it, you let money or manpower lie to you and make you think that you're something that you're not. Which can happen to every one of us if we don't stay very, very alert and sensitive because you have a little money in your pocket now you're feeling good. And powerful. Yeah, oh, hey. But now he's not feeling all that powerful. He's got an army of 1.3 million people. He's got a lot of money, but now he's in great distress because all of that is not going to stop the hand of the Lord against him. Your, well, everything that you have and everything that I have will not stop the hand of God if God chooses to oppose you. I'm, I'm just saying. So now... This is going to cost him. I want, to, I want to tell you something that it will cost you more not trusting God. It is in your best interest spiritually, emotionally, and economically to trust God. I'm going to show it to you. Now, verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. Men. When leadership makes bad choices, the people pay. If the father makes a bad choice, the household pays. That's what happens. The people closest to us pay the most. So now, 70,000 people. This is his, this is his greatest loss of people and it's at the hands of God himself God not the devil God I want I want to let that that has to sink in and when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it the Lord relented from the destruction you know what it's like he said it's like God said to himself all right that's enough God all right, God, I think they had enough of that. Uh, and so that, that's exactly like, if I give you a picture, that's th this word relenting. And, you know, it's some the King James says repented. It, it's not really. The, basically, God consulted himself to say, stop. That's enough. Who was destroying the people? Okay, and when the angel stretched out his hands over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord re uh, relented from destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. This is, I want to show you something. This is one angel. One. Remember when the Rome, Romans come to get Jesus? They're like, oh, I'm looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, I am he. They all fall back. Boom. You know what he says to them? I could call a legion of angels, a legion, a legion of angels to come and to deal with this. One 
angel stretched out his hand on Jerusalem. 70,000 bodies, one angel. One angel. One angel. So when, when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand, he's not only talking about healing and deliverance. He's, remember when Elisha was surrounded and his servant who couldn't see was afraid? That's what happens when you can't see, you're afraid. People who can't see, they're afraid. They always battle with fear because they can't see. They can't see. Elisha said, let the eyes of my servant be open. And he saw the host of angels that were around Elisha, not him. Not greedy Gehazi. Who his greed took his life. And his greed got him leprosy. Remember that? That's what greed will do to you. Make you unclean. It will destroy you. Greed always takes from the life of the person who has greed. So anyway, that was, that's not what this is about. So this is just one. I'm just trying to show you the severity of the judgment of God. Because people don't talk about this in church. One angel stretches his hand out. 70,000 people. But this, there's, there's, a, there's a point in this. This is not an arbitrary, angry God. This is God trying to illustrate something that is unforgettable so that we learn. This was written for our admonition so that we go, okay, let me not test God like that. Let me, let me, not, let me not play games. I want to say that God is loving, but don't test him like that. The only thing that God says test me is tithing. That's the only thing. Any other thing, I don't suggest you test him. I don't, I don't suggest you, you know, you, you provoke God. The, the children of Israel, through complaining, provoked God and they wandered in the wilderness. You know? All right. Now, 17. Then David, oh, no, 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 excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. 16. We're going to go back up. It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Ornan. This is Arunah. The Jebusite. Now, his, his name in Hebrew is Orna. Now, this is Orin or something like that. This is the Jebusites. Now, the Jebusites were the people that David took Jerusalem from. Just so you know. So now, this man was a man of power, wealth, and influence. And somehow, he was able to keep his land and his, his, his flow, somehow. So some people think this could have been a king or someone who, who David kind of like let him live after he took everything, you know. So anyway, now David is going to go back to this guy because now David has a problem. And, and you're going to see this. This is very, really uh, important here that we see all this. Now, so he's at the threshing floor. Now, do you know what a threshing floor is? Anyone know what a threshing floor is? Okay. Okay. A threshing floor is a place where you separate wheat from chaff. Wheat from chaff. Now, in the spirit and in the kingdom, when the wind blows, the difference between in the wheat and the chaff is that the wheat bow with the sovereignty of the wind and the chaff stands straight up and are obstinate and are resistant to what God wants to do. So that's because, that's, you know, there can be people that can be chaff because they resist. They're always resistant. They, they're not... They're not like, go with the flow. They're like, and if that is in you, get that out of you. Because that will rob you in the, in the long run. If that is in you, if you always have an objection, a situation, an issue, always want to do things your way, like ask God to crush that in you because you cannot be the harvest in that spirit. Okay? So now a threshing floor is this place in which where the, the harvest was separated. When God called Gideon, where was Gideon? 
The threshing floor, it was in the wine press? Wine press. Same principle, but with wine. The threshing floor and the wine press are a place of intercession. Gideon was called. All of Israel had got robbed of their harvest except Gideon. See, because... Anyway, let me get out of that. Let's go back to here. Sorry about that. This would be a complete hostage situation. So, now, okay. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was... Um, striking the people, surely I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. If you're going to lead the people, you have to love the people. David is looking at the people, seeing the judgment of God fall on them for his actions. And David is like, judge me, not them. They didn't do that. But this is the law of being a leader. Sometimes other people pay for your actions. That's why you have to be real cautious on your decisions and what, what it is that you trust in. Now, and God came that day to David and said to him, Go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arna, Arna, I don't know, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded him. Now, I'm going to call him Ornan because that's his other name in Chronicles. Looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So he went out and bowed before the king uh, with his face to the ground. Then Arna said, Why has my, has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good, Look here, our oxen for burnt sacrifices, the threshing implements, and all the yokes uh, of the oxen for wood. All these King Arna has given uh, to the king. And Arna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Arna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which has cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor, uh, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and an offering, uh, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers from the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So now if you go into the other narrative uh, of the same story, which is in Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles 21 and on, you'll find out that the total price of the land and the oxen, and the altar, and all this stuff was 600 shekels of gold and 50 shekels of silver. Okay? Now, this is important. A shekel of gold, two-fifths of a shekel of gold, is 11 grams of gold. Now, before the market closed on Friday, I did some math. That is... A gram of gold right now, 11 grams rather, is $691.72. That's $415,032. That's just in gold money. Then in the silver, 11 grams times 829 is $415, $414.50. If you take those numbers together, can someone take a calculator out for me? One of you guys? One of you, wasn't one of you folks? 415 and 32 plus 
414.50. How much is that? $415,446.50. Okay. That's how much it cost him out of his own pocket. Not to trust God. Now, I did some other research. The average price of a man, what is the price of a man? That's <laughs> like, how much are you worth? You know, uh, what I'm talking about is that if a man dies in a car accident, insurance is going to pay out or roughly $4.1 I'm sorry to say this. Ladies, you're worth a little less to the insurance company. You're worth like $3.1 roughly. This is, this is insurance. If you start doing that, you got a number that's to like the 18th power. I don't even know about that. Maybe Brad or Isaac know about that. That scare, it scares me, that number. Just looking at it is scary. That is how much it cost David to not trust in the Lord and to trust in what he had. And who gave him everything he had? God. David was overlooked. His own father didn't even call him. Who is the source of all that? God, not you, and not David, and not me. God. Look at how much it costs him not to trust God. This is what I'm trying to instill in your heart. It will cost you more not trusting God than it will cost you trusting God. It's very, very basic. It's really not even that difficult to understand. Now, I want to talk to you about the place because David, he wanted to build God a house. Remember that? He had a heart for God. Even though he was crazy and made mistakes, he had a heart for God. David entered into something that most people don't understand, but most people talk about the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. I want to do drugs. I want to have sex with everyone. The flesh, the flesh, the flesh. Okay, that's wonderful. But David's flesh had learned to long for the presence of God. He says that my heart and my flesh cry out for the courts of the Lord. He understood better as one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. He understood that even the presence of the Lord was good for his flesh. One of the, one of the things that helps you subdue the flesh is not only fasting, because you have to say no to yourself, but it's also the presence of God, because the presence of God is what changes your appetite. Fasting doesn't change your appetite. It gives you the power to say no. The presence of God will change your appetite. See, the presence of greatness or the presence of something that you've never experienced before, and when you experience that, it changes your appetite. So this is really something. So now David is buying the land, the threshing floor from Ornan, the Jebusite. And on that very land, that is the land in which God cried out to Abraham and said, do not kill your son, Isaac. That is the very land that David himself dragged the head of Goliath. That is the very land in which the plague stopped at the threshing floor. See, intercession is the thing that stops the plague. Intercession. Intercession is the thing that helps you with the harvest. 
That's why the scripture says the only thing that you sow and you get something different is tears. If you sow unrighteousness, you get unrighteousness. The only time in the Bible where the law of sowing and reaping shifts is it talks about when you sow tears, you reap joy. That's also at the threshing floor. See, the threshing floor is a place where you do business with God, where you get honest with God, where God deals with you in, in transparency, in, in authenticity, in reality. David knew that he was the cause of the plague. So he was the one who started it. He's the one who has to stop it by following God's instructions. What started the plague? Not following God's instructions. What ends the plague? Following God's instructions. Many times we want to change the subject on God because we're uncomfortable with what he's addressing in our life. And God does not permit that. And that's why people are stuck because God addressed something to them a year ago or two years ago and they refuse to take it seriously and they're stuck. And I say that in a gracious manner so that people can start to get free and start to move instead of being stuck. Because stuck is frustrating for you, everyone close to you, and everyone around you. Stuck kills an environment. So anyway, so David, he builds an altar here, and he offers sacrifices. Guess what's built next there? The temple. So David wanted to build a temple, but God said, you're a bloody man. You cannot build a temple. You have blood on your hands. God didn't go, oh, well, you know, it's okay. I've forgiven you, so since you're forgiven, you can do it. God said, no, no, there's consequences. You cannot. But his money bought the land. This is generational participation in the purposes of God. So he got to be a part of something with his money that he couldn't be a part of with his hands. So God still honored the desire of his heart to be a part of something. So Solomon built a temple there. Do you know who was crucified there? Jesus was crucified there. Do you know what is there right now? It is the exact land of the dome on the rock. The dome on the rock. Google it. You'll find out what it is. The dome on the rock. So now, what is my point? My point is that if God goes somewhere, he will revisit that place again. That's what my pastor taught me. If God shows up, he'll come again. So maybe in your life, God has showed up in your prayer closet. He's going to come again. Maybe God has shown up in your finances. He's going to come again. Wherever he's been, He's coming back. But the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to follow the instructions and stick to the script? Because David, his motives were not correct, which also caused him to not adhere to the instructions. The instructions were a ransom payment for each person. If you take a census. What is that telling David? That's telling David that they are the Lord's people, not your army. When you think that you own something that you've been called to steward, you're not an owner. I'm not an owner. So anyway, 
Now, let's go to Psalm 20. Psalm 20. And we're going to touch on a little bit of Psalm 20. But I want to show you something. Because David's song is real. It's real. David is the only guy that, Deacon is fact-checking my words here, the Baptist check with the Strongs. But this is really something. David is the only character. I love David for this, really. This is really something. He does the most wild stuff, and he writes a rap song about it. <laughs> he writes a psalms about the crazy stuff that he did. You know what he experienced? The forgiveness of God. You know, it's so good to be free. People are like, are you into this white guilt? No, I'm not into white guilt at all. Here's why I'm not into white guilt. Because I don't even feel guilty of the things I did because I've been forgiven. So if you're going to try to make me feel guilty of stuff I never did or something that happened 300 years ago, you got the wrong white guy because I don't feel, <laughs> I'm free as a bird. You know, I'm not, that's not my issue. I mean, I, I've, I have compassion. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. But not guilt. See, because wherever there's guilt, you can get manipulated, and you're not manipulating me. If I can't even do what I want, you think that I'm going to let you press me to do what you want? You know, that's a rude awakening on that one. Now, some trust in chariots. Who's the some he's talking about? <laughs> a certain man. Some trust in horses, and some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord, the thing that got him the victory in the first place, not a million people in the army. That was how the victory came. I am coming in the name of the Lord. Are, are, you, are you with me? He, it wasn't because he was rolling deep. It wasn't because he had resources. Bro, he was a cheese and bread boy. He was a delivery boy. He was an Uber boy. Uber Eats, bro. He was bringing bread and cheese. He was a nobody, a delivery guy. Nothing. But he had in his heart, he had zeal for God. He had the fear of God in his heart. He goes, oh, no, no, no. They're not going to mock God like this. Not on my watch. That's not going to happen here. And he came in the Lord's name. And that was where the victory is. The victory is in the Lord, not in what we have. Not in numbers. People go, how many people? I don't even count you people. I don't care. I don't care about that. That doesn't define me. If that defined me, I would have jumped off the GWB six years ago. You cannot let the things of the world Try to define you. You are not what you have. You are not what you've done. You are not what you feel. You are who God says that you are. Amen. That's who you are. That's what you are. Okay? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Let's go to Psalm 30, a little bit here. And then we're, this is the last scripture. I didn't say I'm done. I said this is the last scripture. <laughs> this guy's standing up and Brett is here today so this is <sighs> alright now okay sing praises let me just read this we can read 12 verses in churches is that alright 
Okay, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let me, my foes rejoice over me. Now, guess when, I just want to say before I keep reading this, guess what this is at? This is at the dedication of the house of the Lord. This is after he learned. Can I tell you something? I want to just tell you. I'm going to use myself as an example. I learned a lesson with $30,000 in credit cards like six or seven years ago, like six years ago. I learned the lesson. My wife and I, we took responsibility. I said, I have debt that doesn't have me. We paid it off. MasterCard is no longer my master. <laughs> and I learned. Now, I'm, maybe some of you are smarter than me, so you don't need a $30,000 lesson. Maybe you can do a $5,000 lesson. Maybe a $500 lesson. I don't know. But some of us are extra. You know what I mean? Some Like extra. You know what I mean? Hard-headed and crazy. But once I learned, boy, I learned. Learned and learned. Let me, can I say something to you? When you learn something, learn it. Don't have to relearn it. Don't come around that mountain again. Don't do that. That is how you hurt yourself. That is how you frustrate yourself and that is how you wear yourself out by not learning the lesson. So if you're really smart, learn from older people who are crazy. If you're not that smart, learn from yourself. But don't keep learning. When God addresses something in your life, take it. Don't have your guard up. Drop your guard and take it. Take it. That's a free one. Okay. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have... Now, this song is coming from his lesson. You know what God wants to birth from your lesson? A song of joy. David gets rebuked. He commits adultery, kills people. He writes a song. Psalm 51. David is a winner, man. He, he gets into trouble. 70,000 people die. Judgment of God breaks out. He, he loses almost 415,000 U.S. dollars. You know, like 2,000 years ago. That's a lot of money. Man, he writes a song. He goes, man, I'm not going to waste this. I'm going to monetize on my pain. I'm, I'm going to make the most of this lesson. And I'm going to thank God. Instead of hiding it, he rejoices in God's mercy. It's good to be free. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not my, let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto you. You healed me, O Lord. Now, the plague, guess who the plague visited? The plague that was in the city also visited David. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, 
but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. See that? You got to start saying that you are not going to be moved. Because everything in the world wants to move you. And you got to, instead of just speaking to your situation, you better first speak to yourself. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You have not hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out, O Lord, and made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Watch this. For you have turned my mourning into dancing. Come on. That is, that is for some of you. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You know, we mourn because of our sin. We mourn because of the sins of our nation. We mourn because of the disappointments in our own life. We mourn because some of the things happened to us. Some of the things didn't happen for us. We mourn. And that's real. And that's good. And God comforts those who mourn. But you know that you've been comforted when he turns your mourning into dancing. That's how you know that, that something happened. There was a great exchange there. Beauty for ashes. Mourning for dancing. And we, some of us, you got to get dancing shoes. You got you to get prepared because you have been used to mourning. The Lord told me, get used to abundance and get used to victory. Get used to it. Get used to it. You better get used to it because it's different. Come on. Amen. It's different. Amen. Get used to favor. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Listen to me. Let's just talk about our culture, about reaching our culture for Christ. Everyone in our culture is anxious and depressed. What better time to be clothed with gladness? Yo, what's that that you're wearing? Oh, that's gladness. <laughs> What's that? Oh, that's double extra large gladness. Because it's not the normal size. It's the gay fit, so it's tight. That's a double extra large gladness. What are you wearing today? Oh, oh, that's the oil of joy that you smell. See, that's not natural. That is not because of my circumstances. That is in spite of my circumstances. That is because of the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God and what I learned when I was a mess. And what I learned when he reached down and pulled me out and put my feet on a rock and placed me on solid ground. Come on, and, and, so, and then my foot will not stumble, but my feet are planted. This is important. You know, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff. Driven away, blown away. They don't have no staying power. They're not rooted. They can't stay. They can't stay all over. They can't stand. They can't stay because they're wicked. And they can't stand in the congregation of the righteous. They can't stay. 
Some people don't have the power to stay because they don't want to deal with their stuff. And I'm, my encouragement to all of us is that we all have stuff. So we, we just share it. There you go. When you're honest about that, you just you let it go. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to be walking around with fig leaves on, rashed up and rashed out. But you can be honest and say, you know what? I'm going to come in the presence of God and I'm going to cry and I'm going to repent and I'm going to deal with my stuff so I can move on with God. Nobody's going to judge you for getting on the floor and crying your guts out and getting up different. Nobody's going to look at you funny. We're going to hand you a tissue and give you a hug and set you on your way because if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. But I say, why don't we write a song about it instead of stay stuck in it? Look at David. He writes a song about it. Most people be like, eh. most people be sad about it. Well, you know, I did this, that, that. David goes, ha, man, I'm going to write a song. <laughs> he like them apples. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is, this is the result of that lesson. Think about that. He, 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 he does this at the dedication of the house. You've you got to learn the lesson. Whatever your lesson is. Listen, we're all getting lessons. So we don't have to pretend like we're not. It's okay. I get lessons. You get lessons. When you have children, they will teach you lessons. You, you know, you're going to get lessons. It's okay. When you deal with people, you're going to get lessons. You, you, when you, in every season, you buy a house, you're going to get a lesson. You make a renovation, you're going to get a lesson. You, in every season, every time you make a step, you're going to get a lesson. Make sure you learn them. Because they're not just for you. Now, he writes a song, right? Just, let's just talk practically. He writes a song. We read this song in church. We sing it. People take some of the lines from it and write their own little song. And now we're living off of an encounter that a man had with God in the most broken place in his life. And God turns beauty, uh, ashes into beauty. And he, he, he exchanges the sadness for gladness. And I can't express to you how important that is within our current cultural context. You have people in, in, in their life who have no good reason to be anxious. And they're full of anxiety. And, and I don't want to say this in, in, in a negative way, I don't want to get you know, mean, but, and church folks. So, so listen, let me ask you this. So, so you got eternal life. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you got a place to live. Yep. And you got a refrigerator. Yep. Some of us has two. And you got food. Yep. And you got some money for today so you're not like starving. Yep. And you got a vehicle. Yep. And you live in the most prosperous nation the world has ever seen. Yep. And you're a part of the, the, the most prosperous church. I mean, like historically speaking. Yep. And so you're filled with anxiety. Yep. That's like, whoa. Man, that's pretty hard. How did you manage that? Like, 
Where did you get that from? Like, how did you learn how to get that anxiety with all these amazing things that you have going for you? I'll tell you how you focus on yourself. Amen. And that's why it, le it leads to just complete misery. David, he focused, when he turned inward and, look, and, and, and put his trust in what he had instead of the Lord, look what happened to him. So, so this whole thing of, of doing this is just a big error. This is a big error. This was not an issue of stewardship. Stewardship is good. Having an account of what you have is important, especially in a culture where there's fraud in internet. So checking your statement is not like God's going to strike you dead, you know, when you check your bank account. That's not what this is about. What this was about was an issue of the heart that was reflectant in him not adhering to how God told him to do what God told him to do, which is a reflection that his motives were impure. If I don't follow the instructions correctly, it's, it, it's a it's clear manifestation that there's something impure about motives. And this is why from the beginning before he moved, God graciously sent a man to him whose name is Jehovah had fathered and asked him why. Why? All right. Not trusting the Lord is really expensive. <laughs> um, when leadership doesn't listen to the Lord, the people pay. So whoever you're responsible for will pay if you don't listen. It's more expensive to not trust the Lord than it is to trust the Lord. It is in your best interest to trust the Lord. All right? Let's pray. Lord, today, by faith, not by feelings, as Deborah said during worship, by faith, we choose to trust you with our finances, with our future, with our family, with our feelings, with our opportunities, with our disappointments, with our frustrations, with our shortcomings. We choose to commit our spirit to you and to trust you. We acknowledge you and we ask that you would direct our paths, God, that you would be the one who orders our steps. You said that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. God, I'm asking you this week that you would order our steps, that you would ordain our steps, that you would make a way for us where there seems to be no way as we put our trust in you. And we thank you that we'll have a testimony as a result of putting our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.